Good morning and welcome to today's show of truth. Today's guest, we have John Hall, 12 years law enforcement. Today's going to, John's going to go over, you know, a couple of the other stops or interests and things like that. And a lot of different things that he does to kind of deal with things and humanize everything. Good morning, John. Good morning. How's the day going for you? Early. But but I, 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 I seen that. I was like, man, he's <laughs> no, no, no sleep in the wicket. You know, it's like, man. So, so, uh, which you want to cover stories first or what do you want to go over anything else or? Uh, yeah, I'll cover a couple of the stories. Uh, I've kind of got a mix of some of the serious and some of the more lighthearted to kind of, you know, balance stuff out. Um, you know me, I try not to be too serious for too long, kind of you know, switch it up. Um, I, I'll start off with kind of a, a, it's kind of a funny one, but it could have been a dangerous situation. Uh, now that it turned out good, you know, you can kind of step back and and laugh about it. But uh, we had, uh, I had an uncertified guy with me and uh we went to a domestic call. We go to the door, the back door, and we see somebody run through the, the house. So the door's unlocked. We made entry. We take off through the house after them. Well, they go out the front door. The glass door shuts before my partner can get to them. He hits the glass door and bounces off the door, which must have been a good glass door. But he bounces off of it. He runs outside, and he ends up apprehending the one running. I stopped in the yard because I seen somebody standing in the yard and I got her. We got him back in the house. Well, as I was walking back in the house first, I looked down at the ground and there was a gun magazine laying there. And uh, I knew this was, uh, had been a dope house in the past. Um, and I asked him, I said, who's got the gun straight up? They're like, no, nobody's got a gun here. No, I said, who's got a gun? So there's a magazine laying right here. So who's got the gun? Nobody, nobody. We don't have any guns here. My partner walks back in with the uh, the other two suspects. I look over at him, and there's no magazine in his gun. It had popped out when he hit that door. <laughs> I was like, man, that could have been so bad. Now that it turned out all right, you know, it's, it's kind of, you can see a little bit of humor in it, but at the time, I was like, my God, you know, that that was just, I've never seen that happen before. Well, you know, I mean, well, then on, on top of that, it's, you know, I mean, think about the, like you just said, the extremity of like how bad things could have gone. You know what I mean? As far as like somebody else say, say he fell out of his, say the whole, you know, gun firearm fell out of the holster or anything else like that. Or on top of that, let's say one of those subjects, you know, was armed in the house, you know, and it's, and, he, and, and unless he happened to have one in the chamber, he might be, you know what I mean? But outside of that, it's like, you know, what do you do in a situation like that? Yeah, you know, we've always got the one in the chamber, but his magazine couldn't have been fully seated or it would have never come out. But, uh, yeah, he would have had one round to work with. Luckily, he had a good partner. Yeah, hey, that's that, that, hey, that and, and that's where it does matter. You know, it's kind of like one of the broadcasts that we were doing with Christopher Hoyer was in regard to that very specific you know incident about uh, you were actually on the broadcast when we were talking about how you know a lot of the different agencies have done away with the physical fitness aspect of everything and how it you know he's chasing a suspect about to have a gunfight on a, a rooftop and his partner couldn't even jump a four-foot wall you know, it's like, you know what i mean so you you have to be able to ensure that the partner you're with or somebody that's really gonna have your back you know, and have the six regardless, you know, so. Yeah, and, and this guy, he, he went to the academy, and I think it was uh, three days later he come right back home. So he he wanted all the fun part of it, but he wasn't willing to do what it takes to get there. Uh, and, and that's important, too. That's one of the things that we covered in one of our pro past broadcasts as well, too, that, you know, intent when individuals actually – you know, enlist, whether it be military, law enforcement, you know what I mean? Whatever the case may be for all first responders in general to where it's the, Hey, I want to, I want to drive fast, chase the cops and robbers and everything else. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, there's work that actually comes along with that. So. 
Absolutely. Um, uh, I've got a, another one. You know, we we had talked before about information that that dispatch receives that helps us prepare for the calls. This is, as far as information wise, and really the the situation was bad. It could have been a lot worse. But when I worked for the sheriff's office, we got a call out in the county. And the only information we had, and up to the point we actually arrived on scene, is a woman shot her husband. That's all we have. We don't know if it was self-defense. We don't know if she's waiting for us to show up, you know, and open fire on us. So it's calls like that that really just suck because you really don't know what you're going into, but you know it can be something bad. Obviously, somebody's already been shot. Um, you know, I mean, and that and that that's a great point, you know, and a lot of individuals don't even look at it in that context because, you know, was it self-defense that she shoot her husband out of, you know, defending herself or is she in just some kind of panic rage to where now your life, your partner's life or anybody else's life is in jeopardy? Oh, yeah. It can be, you know, one of those. You know, we got we got into a domestic. I got pissed off and I ended up shooting him. Well, now I know I'm going to jail. So. I'm going to take out whoever comes up here to try to arrest me. Um, it ended up being kind of an interesting uh, story. Uh, I'll finish it up. She had, uh, luckily I'd arrived with a partner in the same car and uh, he, he went to her. She was injured, but I saw the guns. There was a revolver and a semi-automatic. And uh, I took them to the car, secured them, come back. And I asked her, so which gun did you have? She's like, I don't know. I was like, you don't know which one you had? She's like, I don't know. So we make entry inside, go in the bedroom. He's laying there deceased. Uh, so when investigators get there, we get to looking around. We roll him over, and he had he had a single gunshot to the chest. It was just one round is all it was. Um, and he was laying on top of a gun magazine. Huh. So, you know, this is, this is weird. Um, come to find out what it appeared she had done is there was a history of domestic violence, but it was never reported. You know, that makes everything more complex. Um, it looked like he had assaulted her. He had grabbed the gun and she said that he had threatened to kill her, that he had grabbed the semi-auto and it wasn't chambered. He went to chamber it, hit the magazine release, which gave her time to grab the revolver and pop off around in him. So, by him hitting that wrong button is what saved her life. I, I fully believe. Um, and what makes it a little more odd is this was probably, this was years before I ever got uh, with my ex-wife and come to find out she had actually worked with the guy um, at a factory. And he used to come in bragging about the way that he had abused her and, you know, and hurt her. And it's just kind of weird that it lined up that I had answered this call, but she had actually worked with this guy. That's insane. You know, and and again, it's like, you know, why I kind of do what I do, because it's like, you know, so many individuals don't speak out about certain things because they think that, A, nothing's going to be done. And especially in domestic disputes like that, to where, you know, a lot of abused they blame themselves. They question themselves. You know, why is this happening to me? Maybe I am doing something wrong. You know, the spouse may be the financial breadwinner. They never really had to work, you know, or, you know, the worst is like, you know, when children are involved in things like that and they stick in the relationship, so they never speak out about it. Same thing with, you know, individuals not wanting to the voice the things that, you know, everything's not okay, you know? So in, you know, not having those types of information going in, you know, having known that, you know, it's you, you can I'm not going to say you can stand down, but you can be a little bit more standoffish in your approach. You know, knowing that situation, if it would have been like when she was talking to dispatch, like, hey, you know, my husband was, you know, attempting to shoot me and I you know, fired back, whatever the case may be, because of long term you know, domestic disputes and everything. So, yeah. And, you know, you said uh, about breadwinner and stuff in the relationship. Uh, this wasn't a domestic situation. Um, I had a, a woman, she was in her somewhere in her mid sixties, I think. And just, just to make the point of this, it's her husband passed away and she was depressed is how I came in contact with her. But the point of this is 
she said that he had always done everything for her. She said she literally did not know how to go about life on her own because he had always done everything for her. So, you know, nobody really considers that that actually happened with some people and that could, could play a role, you know, well, I don't know what I would do without him. So I've got to put up with what's going on. And that's huge. That's huge. It really is. You know what I mean? And it's just, and again, it's the, the humanizing aspect of what you do and every other law enforcement officer does in, you know, that, that conversing, you know what I mean? That, Hey, I'm a person too. And being able to draw that type of information out because, you know, not, not only will you make them more comfortable, but you can ultimately, you know, change the course of their future on how they respond to that or whether they just step out of the relationship altogether, you know, to better themselves. So. Yeah. And there really needs to be a lot more, I don't know about bigger cities, but there needs to be a lot more resources for, um, domestic abuse victims trying to get out of relationships, having somewhere to go, somewhere to try to help them, you know, start over or whatever they need, because a lot of them do feel, hey, you know, this is where I live. This is all I have. You know, I can't I have nowhere to go. I, you know, I don't have anything once I leave this relationship. Yeah, and I mean, that was one of the nonprofits that I was starting up in Cincinnati, Ohio, was that's what it is, is specifically for, you know, if, uh, when law enforcement responds to a domestic dispute, especially if there's children involved, that there is, you know, a transitional home to at least house them and have a safekeeping. Because, you know, even if, you know, significant other, I mean, and men get abused too. I know a lot of people laugh about it and thinks it's a, you know, yeah, right, yeah, right. But, you know, I mean, abuse is both sided. Excuse me. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, having that place to go because then they get stuck in there. And even if that's, even if the significant other one, other was detained, you know, then they have to go through the steps of protection orders, you know, or if they're bonded out immediately or whatever the case may be, because, you know, some people, you know, depending on the time of the day that they're arrested, you know, bond can be posted same day. You know, as long as like, you know, judge could order in certain instances like that on what the uh, bond or bail would be. So, yeah, uh, here they usually have to stay 24 hours, uh, which does help things, you know, to try to get rid of some of that animosity. But if there's a history of abuse, then, you know, they're going to they're going to end up right back in the same situation if they can't if they don't have the ability to change something on their own or, you know, them to make the point to reach out and get what they can to try to change the situation. Yeah, because I mean, and, and a lot of individuals don't realize it, that it's it's human conditioning as well, too, to where if you're conditioned yourself to that being the normal, it's kind of like as, as a child, if a child's growing up and they're watching, you know, mom or dad beat each other's face in, that's a normality that just develops in the course of time on how one is supposed to treat the other, you know, oh. I preach that to people. What what your kids are seeing growing up is what's normal to them. Do you want your kids growing up in the same situation? Because whenever, you know, their significant other is beating them up or, you know, your child is the one they grow up and abusing someone else. You know, you don't want either side of that, but it doesn't it's not enough for a lot of people to, to change anything. Right. You know, and and a lot of times it's, you know, when it is viewed, it's viewed as the boys, you know, witnessing, you know, the father, you know, abusing the mother. But a lot of individuals don't realize that, you know, the girls, when they're seeing their mom getting abused and staying in that relationship, that's normalizing that type of relationship for them as well. So then if, you know, latter in life, you know, when they get into a relationship and then now they're, you know, in an abusive relationship, they, they really think it's normal. It sounds stupid and unbelievable, but that's just how human conditioning works to where that was the normality that they seen to the progression of their life. Now that it's being sustained within their own life, it's like, oh, well, I guess this is just, this is the way things are, you know? Yeah, they're used to it. So when they do get abused, there's no reason for them to really think that, you know, this is the reason I need to get out of this relationship. You know, oh, this is part of it. 
Yeah, it is. It's a shame. It really is. And, you know, and, and that's where, you know, again, individuals like yourself, you know, having a real life conversation with someone like, you know, you don't have to be in this situation and asking, you know, the simple questions like, hey, you know, is this, the, you know, growing up and things like that? You know, a lot of people, you don't have to get too personal with an individual, but sometimes, you know, you'll find the answers that you need for a report as far as, you know, you know, we detained the subject, you know, the spouse, significant other, whatever the case may be, you know, after speaking with, you know, victim, you know, she stated that, you know, since childhood, she's been abused and things like that. Going into this relationship, it's been a long term abuse and things like that. That way, upon trial or what, you know, any other kind of caseworkers that may get involved, you know, proper methods, proper steps can be taken. And it opens the eyes for individuals like you were just saying about actually creating these programs, creating these facilities that will be able to house individuals that feel that they're trapped or that they have no other way out. So that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And, and sometimes they don't want to talk about it. You know, they don't want to give you the information you're looking for. The way you go about it, a lot of times can, uh, if you go into it with just this professional, you know, hard, I don't really care attitude that this is my job. I've got to do this part of it. They're not going to want to talk to you on top of they're normal. You've got to sneak that in sometimes of how you're wording stuff or they don't realize why you're asking this stuff. They think it's a lighter subject than what you're really trying to get out of. That and they feel pressure too as well too, because you know, a lot of things it's it's personal to them, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, why are you asking me this question? How's that even relevant to what just happened here? You know, because and also the flip side to that is that, you know, because of victims you know feeling like they deserved it or that they did something wrong if if i'm asking a, a victim a question or something like that that they may feel like i'm trying to spin it to where it was their fault they you know mentally asserted to that as well too so it's like they, they may be standoffish on answering the questions or looking at you like you know why do you want to know this are you trying to say that it was my fault and things like that so again you know as you and i have discussed you know numerous times in regard to a lot of times the tone that we use when we're, you know, confronting an individual or questioning an individual, the responses we get, you know, if you get that officer that just comes in there, just, you know, the, the old hard ass guy, you know, going in or the way that he's, you know, asking the questions and things like that, that victim's going to shut down and you're not going to be able to get the proper information that you need so that they can get the treatment, the care and the protection ultimately that they're going to need because, you know, it's not a question if, I mean, and outside of murder, it's not like, I mean, I've across the states, you know, a lot of times domestic, uh, domestic violence, it's such a light sentence, you know, to where they'll be out soon, you know, I mean, at best a few years at best, you know, so, you know, how's that protection and how's that, you know, mindset going to be set into their minds to where, hey, look, you know, moving forward, you know, being able to recognize these behaviors and, you know, kind of stepping out of that, you know, is it because you've never had a job that this was the breadwinner? Hey, let's go ahead and get you some career training. You know, it's because, you know, the children and things like that, but let's go ahead and get you assistance so that you can have your own place of, you know, for housing and, you know, assistance for food and stuff like that as well too, until you are, you know, sustainable for yourself. So. Yeah. And, and like I said, the way you approach things has a big, big effect on it. Um, it's kind of like the uh, use of force. Um, you can't go in and shoot someone and then decide you're going to pepper spray them. You, you, <laughs> um, you, once you go into a situation and you're this hard ass, just rude officer, you back back, back down to being polite and caring. Uh, if you go in more of, uh, I want to say maybe lighthearted about the situation. You can always step it up depending on what the information you're getting or not getting. But once you get that asshole officer, you know, view, you can't go back down. They will never let you go back down to being a nice person. First impressions go. I mean, that, I, you know, that saying is an age old adage and it's stuck around for a long time because of the reality behind that. You know, it's the, you know, 
if you go in, even because it's a violent situation or something like that, and you're that brash in the beginning, regardless of you softening it down and things like that to the course of that, because of the way that you approach them initially, it's the, they're going to, they're going to be closed that whole conversation and questioning, you know, so. Oh yeah. And I know some officers, this, this really goes over to any call. They, they're that officer that if you call for backup and you find out they're working, you'll cancel them. I'll handle on my own because you can have a call. You, you can be about to get in your car finishing up a call and if they show up all hell breaks loose they have that ability and that you know can go with that too trying to talk to somebody and get information out of them it it goes all to hell there's no reason it should yeah and it's and and it's again controlled situations and things like that that you know if if the way i present myself to someone you know ultimately is going to affect that outcome you know, and and it isn't even just affecting the outcome. It's the the obtaining of the proper information, the correct information of, you know, how I'm going to file my report. You know, if they're only giving me half of what really happened because of just how I'm just like, are you sure that's really how it happened? You know, it's going to be like, well, you know what? Yeah, just whatever, man. So, yeah. Well, then it looks bad because then, you know, and especially, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still touching on domestic disputes because then if it goes to trial, which, you know, that that's another unfortunate reality that, you know, is faced nationwide, probably worldwide. But, you know, them not appearing at court, you know, because of that fear of not wanting to incarcerate their significant other, whatever the case may be. And then if you have, you know, asshole you know, officer Bagby going in there and they just give me a portion of the story or they just tell me some things to just try to get it going on. All of a sudden they get on the stand and the police report that, you know, prosecuting attorneys or whatever, you know, have, and it contradicts or there's new things added in, it, it spins that whole story and it affects that outcome and the possible, you know, resources and protection that, you know, that victim potentially would have had, you know, so... The way your attitude is, you can change their mind whether or not they actually want to go through with prosecuting it. Yeah. You can, you know, the way he treated me, I don't even want to deal with him anymore. I'll just, I'll suck it up and, you know, deal with my own situation now and leave it like that is. I don't even want to have to see him again. Yeah, I mean, and on top of that as well, too, you know, if, you know, if we come off to a victim as if, you know, it was their fault. Why in the fuck would they even go to court in the first place? It's like, well, shit, the officer thought it was my fault. You know, it's like the, you know, the courts are probably going to view it the same way. And now all of a sudden he's going to be released that same day and I'm going to be victimized again or whatever the case is, you know, so. Yeah, it can be a very, very tricky situation. That's why you got to be aware of how you're treating people. Yeah, so. Trying to see what else I've got. Stuff laying everywhere. Um, and and here's one. Uh, I know my rights. Well, if you tell me that, you probably don't. Uh, I had a guy. It was a uh, dirt bike pursuit, actually, and. Um, I finally, the guy wouldn't stop. I finally just cut him off and, and got him stopped, jerked him off the bike, bike fell over. Well, apparently the guy that owned the bike was right behind us and he, he jumped out and he's, you know, raising hell about, you know, the bike and, you know, this and this and this. And uh, this is not, this is out of your city. This is a county road. Right, but it's in my jurisdiction. It doesn't matter the county road, you know, state road, whatever, it's still in my jurisdiction. So now I can still take you to jail for the way you're acting. Well, then he walks over in the ditch beside the road. Well, I'm on private property. I can still arrest you on private property, and you're actually still on city property. I mean, it's just like he thought that he knew exactly how to get out of it, and it was nowhere near what it should be. And I dealt with the same individual later. It was a domestic, and they showed up at the gas station. And... um I went inside, talked to the female, decided that he needed to go to jail. When I come back out, I was like, I need you to step out of the vehicle for me. 
No, because then you can arrest me. Uh, <laughs> I can I can arrest you in the car too. <laughs> take your ass out of this car and arrest you if you'd rather do that. I, mean, I don't know where this stuff comes from. They think these little loopholes exist, and they are nowhere near what they think they are. Well, they they watch them little YouTube videos where people are holding their phones and asking, "Officer, oh, what's your badge number?" And oh, hey, it's my right that I don't have to do. This. They watch them YouTube videos and they try to make their own little little gig. Like, I don't have to get out of my car. <laughs> you definitely do. <laughs> yeah, and I've never understood what's your badge number. Why does it matter? You got my name. Same, yeah. It's... I'm pretty sure they know me by my name and not just my number at the police department. It's not going to make a difference. But they think because they've seen it, that's the way. You should approach it. That's what you need. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. It's, I'm not going to say it's comical because it's, it is a shame because again, it goes back into, you know, the, the things I say almost every day in regard to, you know, the media's fault in all of this, you know, you know, portraying certain things as, you know, the criminals being the victims. You know, it, it's the most insane fucking display anybody could do you know i mean it really is like you know the, the criminal is the victim here and they can they can tell a story be telling the truth but it's the way they present it is the way people think uh there was a situation and they want to throw in teenagers okay it is a tragedy that somebody that young may be involved in a shooting or or be killed or whatever but at the same time they're just as dangerous as anyone else and there was a situation where there was a uh, teenager i believe he had a gun and i think there was five officers there he ended up pointing the gun at the officers and they got shot i think 13 times you know they're like why did you need to shoot him 13 times well that does sound excessive when that's all you say but when you add in you've got five officers there you know each one fires two shots if i fire two shots at somebody that's reasonable in a deadly situation so you got to think there's 10 shots right there when only you know, each officer may have only shot two times, but they don't break it down like that. And you can't, I can't rely on my partner to shoot this guy that's pointing a gun at us because my partner may be relying on me. And on top, of that is, on top of that as well is angle. You know what I mean? So, you know, if, if I'm over here and there's, there's an obstruction to where, you know, as, as long as there's not, I'm a potential innocent bystander there if it's just that obstruction and i still have visibility of subject and, and if i fire off my my rounds and you're on the other side you fire off your you may be at a better you know angle and you know just perspective rather to subdue subject rather than to allow them to continue to open fire because if again everything's always going to roll back to hesitation factor to where if I'm standing over here, even though I have an obstruction right there, if I don't take that shot and that gives him that extra second to fire around at you, I ultimately just cost you your life or if there's a civilian, you know, in the vicinity or whatever the case may be. So it's just, you know, and it's. I, the hesitation and the reaction time. Um, I can't say for sure what I would do if I ended up having to get into a shooting with someone, but. It's going to be hard for anyone in a deadly situation to shoot one time when you've got your adrenaline. That affects a lot of stuff. But to shoot one time in a potentially deadly situation and then reevaluate, did that shot do the job? Did it neutralize them? Oh, shit. Now they're shooting at me. You know, you've got to do it to the point you know that you've neutralized the threat. Not that you've killed them, but you've neutralized the threat, that they're no longer a threat to you or someone else. But when you, you I mean, even fall, even falling, somebody can still, you know, start firing off the round. So, I mean, you do want like you just said, neutralizes. It's the, it's the best term to even use in any kind of standoff fire anytime it's neutralizing the individual, you know, and I, I say this time and time again, you know, people are always like, oh, they're, oh, they're shooting to kill. No, it's, it's not, it's neutralizing the threat period, you know, and we've had this discussion before, about ineffectiveness of the taser depending on you know distance between you know myself and subject and everything else and you know how close the prongs hit if one prong happened to miss because i try to shoot from a distance or 
you know, it, there, there's so many different factors that civilian sector doesn't understand yet because media pushes things like, oh, they're just shooting people to kill, you know, it's, it, and it's, and it makes it hard because then, as you were just saying a little while ago about when, you know, you go up to a car, I'm not getting onto this car. You know, they, they, they really feel threatened because of the betrayal that the media has placed, you know, upon law enforcement nationwide. So, yeah, and some do. And there's there's an actual video. Of this, and I'm I'm very, very happy uh, there is, you know, the media can go, well, officer shot uh, shot this guy. I think it was 12 or 14 times he shot him and unarmed. OK, no, he had a I think it was a two by four trying to beat the officer with it, swinging at him. And the officer was actually had his gun, but he was he was walking backwards. But he got to the point where he had to do something before this guy did get the better of him. And now he can't defend himself. And he ended up shooting him 12 or 14 times. The entire time he's shooting, he's walking backwards. He's trying to get away. And in the video, you'll watch this guy. He never even flinches until his body finally gave out and fell to the ground. He never even flinched. You would think he missed every ground seeing him walk. Uh, but you can't relay that with the media. You know, he was only armed with a two by four, and they shot him four times. I mean, it, it's the truth, but they don't give details behind it, which make a world of difference. It's the and the same thing with the videos. It's they don't see initial encounter. They don't see what led up to the, all they show you is pop, pop, pop. It's like, oh my God, he just opened fire for no reason. <laughs> you know, they don't show you the other guy over there, you know, crouched behind his, you know, open car door or something aiming or anything. It's just. Oh yeah. And then there's a picture of, uh, I think it's a lion holding its cub in its mouth and it'll show one side. You see it holding its cub in its mouth like a normal, you know, you know, lion would do. On the other side of it, it looks like it's eating its head. And they say, you know, that's the side the media shows. Yeah, it's it really is. You know, and it's and I, I mean, I I don't want to get into like the whole the whole politics of everything, but you know, it's they they have their own agenda of why they do what they do and everything else like that as well too. So I mean, and and it and it makes things hard for everybody to actually be able to fulfill their obligations, fulfill their duties, you know, uphold the responsibilities in doing that, you know? And so Chris Gregorio, you know, I'd like to introduce you to him one day as well too. You know, he's up in the upper Northwest to where, you know, the media doesn't show that, you know, a lot of the rioting is still going on up there. A lot of the resistance is still going on up there. So when, when, you, when you have that and, you know, they, they set policies on and they change policies on when I can draw a firearm or when I can do this, do that and the other. You know, you're endangering the lives of law enforcement. You know, it's you're already going into you know a lot of situations tiptoeing now when, you know, agencies, you know, whether it be the municipalities, the cities, the states or the, you know, the counties or the states, you know, place these restrictions, you know, they're putting you in harm's way. And again. They're victimizing the criminals and they're giving them the upper hand, you know, and it's and again, like you were hired to do a specific job. Let me do my full job. <laughs> you know, as long as within policy and procedure, I mean, what's, what's it matter how I, you know, neutralized subject and, you know, upheld my responsibilities for the protection and well-being of, you know, the civilians. Yeah, and if it's a potentially dangerous or deadly situation and I've got to hesitate with what I'm doing to, to follow you know, your laid back policy of use of force, if it's endangering me, then it's endangering the public yeah. because I'm having to delay my reaction. So just about anything that would that would endanger the officer because of that would endanger the public because you have to delay your response. And, if they can hurt me because of that delay, they can hurt anyone else at the same time. Exactly. I mean, and again, it goes back to roles, responsibilities, serve, protect, you know, and if that protection means that I'm going to have to put somebody down, I'm going to put them down, period. You know, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer to that, to the, you know, to the review board, internal affairs or whoever, you know, may be, 
you know, the coroner, <laughs> medical examiner, whatever, the, you know what I mean? But it's still, you know, as long as, again, everything is acted upon within policy, within procedure, and threat is neutralized where it wasn't even just a threat to myself because, again, you know, regardless of the respective jurisdictions that we sign our names to on that line, you know, we put ourselves, our lives before any other. You know what I mean? And it's just so if I feel that somebody else is threatened, it's my duty to put that, you know, sub neutralize. I don't want to keep saying put it down. People are like, oh, my God, you talk about like, putting people down like dogs. It's like, but <laughs> to, to neutralize that threat, you know, so. Well, and I know that you've seen this situation where they were uh, two teenagers fighting. I think there's actually multiple teenagers fighting uh, females. When the officer gets there, the girl runs, throws the one girl to the ground, has a she has a knife and she takes off towards the other girl up against the car trying to stab her. I mean, and this all happens within a few seconds. And had that officer hesitated, that girl may have got stabbed and killed. And you know, that's one of those it's half a second decision that's gonna may make life or death for someone else. Yeah, I mean, it's and again, it, it's those split second decisions to where, you know, based on your training, based on your 12 years experience, based on, you know, previous calls, out turns, because, you know, regardless of training, every call that we respond to because of other factors changing, you know, we become more cognizant now of other possibilities and, you know, Chris K. Corio and Chris Hoyer and I, we had a discussion and I said, you know, when we're trained, you know, a lot of times, I mean, they may show some unorthodox things, but everything that we're being trained for is orthodox. So what happens when you have that drug induced or the individual that's now in panic because of the relationship and things like that, how a situation would generally turn out based on training isn't going to turn out that way. So we have to be cognizant, make that decision, because, again, hesitation factor, split seconds decisions, seconds matter in every call that is being responded to. You know, and especially like with going back to dispatch, you know, as far as what they're providing to you and things like that, to where if if the caller negated to provide the essential information and you go in there. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing things completely outside of what dispatch had knowledge of and they provided you it does become again that second decision okay well hey now that this is this i have to do you know act upon it in this manner so. it it is and there's a lot of uncertainty in some of the things that you you choose to do uh you know a fleeing suspect on foot your reaction is a chase them most people will but at the same time you're putting yourself in the situation where you may round the corner this has happened many times and they're standing there with a gun so you've got to decide which way are you going to handle this. And in an adrenaline-filled situation, that's a little more complex than people would think making a decision is. And that's like, uh, you know, because I've been in the courtrooms to where the question was asked to the officer and having to discharge firearm. Did you instruct the subject to drop firearm? Okay. And... I want the viewers to understand the insanity behind this. If I'm, if I'm here and I'm telling you and instructing you, you know, drop five, just in that conversion, that threat of me shooting him, as I'm trying to instruct a subject to drop firearm, the fires could have already came at me. Whether I'm wearing my vest or not, that's irrelevant. It's, you know, me having to stand here and say, drop firearm and, I'm fired upon while I'm speaking. What was I supposed to do? You know, and it's like the, oh, well, you should have instructed them to, you know, stand down or it's like <laughs> if they see if if a subject is standing there pointing a gun at me and I draw a firearm. I mean, deaf people would understand that they should probably put their gun down. <laughs> you know, it's insane that anybody would even well i say insane that they'll do any tactic to try to get get what they want but it's insane that they would ask that because it, is that not a given to not point that gun at me put it down in that situation could, could you imagine the military going over in the sands of afghanistan and 
that you you got you got 25 Afghans pointing rifles at you and you're not gonna throw a grenade. I mean, come on. It's like, come on, man. Get out of here, man. Anyway. And prosecutors will throw anything they can in there just to, you know, it's, it's stupid. It's a given that this should have happened. They should have thought this, but we're still going to throw it in just to see if we can sway people. And sometimes they do. It's sad, but. And it is too, because, and again, it's about perception, you know, on how they present it to the courts and to the jury and things like that. So you mean to tell me, Officer Hall, that. You were standing 12 foot away at an angle and you felt threatened and you couldn't tell them. to. Dro- it's like, come on, man. it's like you couldn't go behind the wall and just ask them to drop firearm to see if they would fire. It's, it sounds good. On, just like engineers. Hey, it sounds good on paper and everything else. But until you're in a real life situation where those seconds matter, it's like. You know, you, you don't want to be like, shut the fuck up and let me do it. But, but in the same sense, in the back of your head, it's like, are you seriously asking me this question for real? Yeah, exactly. And and one thing I have learned, though, is uh, when you're on the stand, you answer that question and that question alone. Yes, sir. No, sir. You got anything to add to that? No, sir. The more you talk, the more it gives them to work with and use against you. Yeah, it's a... Uh... I've had a lawyer kind of try to make me look like an idiot, and he may have, and I don't care. I was first on scene on a uh, murder, and uh, you know, he asked me, you know, you know, was you, did you respond to this call? Yes, sir. Was you first on scene? Yes, sir. You know, and then, well, what investigation did you do after this? None. You mean you was first on scene in a murder, and you didn't do any investigation after this? And I'm thinking, I'm not an investigator. I'm patrol. They take it over, but you know, no, sir. You know, it may, may, it may make me look like I don't do my job, I don't do anything, but as soon as I say, no, sir, here's the reason why, now he's got something to grasp onto and start grilling me about. So, yes, no, in that conversation as quick as you can. Oops. So, you know, again, you know, a lot of that, you know, goes back to what you were saying before to where they're just trying to catch you in something else. And again, of like what the report stated to see if while on stand or, you know, giving your testimony that, you know, we go against whatever was in the report. So. Yeah, you've got to be careful with stuff like that because they can they can trip you up. And it sounds completely different than what it really is. I'm, I'm telling the truth. This is the way it's everything's been written out. But now you've tripped me up and you're making these jurors start to doubt me. Even though I know exactly what I'm doing and everything's written down correctly, because the way you made me answer this question, now they're going to start doubting my my abilities and you know the way I, I handle the call. Yeah, it's... And second guessing, you know, again, you know, it isn't even just like the, the courts themselves. It's like the, you know, the the second guessing of the superiors and supervisors and things like that as well, too, that, hey, I'm, you know, we start second guessing ourselves. Like, am I even really doing the role that I'm supposed to be performing and things like that as well, too? So place a large effect on it. Oh, Absolutely. I think you're back silenced again. I'm, I'm muted myself for a second. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you've got to be careful with this job, not just in your actions, but what follows the actions. What you say, what you do, how you present yourself concerning the situation. So there's there's a lot of tricky stuff with it. Have there, have there been any instances to where – you were, I mean, I, I know you've covered some in the past in regard to, you know, instances to where you were second guessed. Was that, that, I mean, I, I know we kind of had those conversations before to where, you know, that one time to where you thought, you know, he was going to, you know, cause he's the brash guy, but, you know, it was understanding of, you know, the different concerns and things like that. But, you know, in regard to the, the way that you handled calls, I mean, ha- has it been a buildup to where, you do second guess yourself going into specific calls, not every call, 
but you know kind of going back to like whether it be domestic or you know we have <clears throat> excuse me you know have you know gunmen you know at scene or whatever the case may be you know are there any specific calls that dispatch may send you to that because of second guessing from superiors or anything else that you kind of go in you know more aware or cautious or second guessing yourself now um for the most part no uh they they don't i've never been in a situation really that i've really had to worry about you know what they're gonna think i'd react to the call and usually it's it's a good reaction but like minor things like we discussed about you know i got scolded because i stopped the car on the way to go take a report now well anytime on the way to a call what if i see somebody you know blow across a highway, you know, four lane highway or something, you know, more on the serious traffic offense. But now do I get into more trouble by stopping him or going to this call that I've been, you know, embedded that that comes first. Um, and it can even be a little small, small stuff like that, that, that you can second guess yourself. But luckily none of the big stuff I've ever really had to deal with. And that's, that's a benefit, though, as well, too. I mean, because, again, you know, it's still the I was hired to do this. I can go do this you know, to what the best of my knowledge, best of my training, best of my abilities and things like that. So, yeah, I've been certified. Obviously, I've been on the road for uh, I was with the sheriff's office, I believe, for six and a half years. You know, I've made it six years with this agency. You know, you should trust that. Obviously, I'm doing something right. Have you switched agencies? I thought. Um, I was with the sheriff's office for six and a half years. And I've been with my current um, almost seven years. Oh, okay. So I took I took a little break. I remember you took, I remember you took that leave. I just I, I thought you went back to this whole time. I always thought you went back to the same department. Yeah, no the uh, the one that I, I'm at now, the chief actually came to me. You know, we're about to have an opening. I know you. I know how you work. I know your attitude. So I'd like you to come work for me. And I was hesitant about going to it, but he finally kept on. And, you know, and I, I went there, but he had actually come to me. And that comes down to, to how you do your job. If you do your job right, if you treat people right, opportunities will present themselves versus if I had a bad attitude or didn't, you know, handle calls badly, obviously he's not going to come to me wanting me to work for him. 100%, you know. But I mean, and, and again, though, you know, in the, it shows with, you know, your integrity, which, you know, we all have to have, you know, the character and things like that of being able to address, you know, certain issues and being self-reflective, self-aware of certain things that, you know, I may have to address in my own life to, you know, help me fulfill this role to the best of my ability, you know, and, and you did that. I mean, and you've shared that with all of us, you know, multiple times and things like that. I commend you for that. And, you know, I'm sure that the department as well recognizes you know that very reality you know opposed to somebody coming in there it's kind of like the conversation we had that where when we are asked that question you know if need be will you draw a firearm okay now if need be will you fire and you know put subject down everybody's just checking the box yes but then in conversation it's like i, I know i'll never draw my firearm it's like well you know what the fuck you even sign up for you know so yeah um and that just kind of reminded me of, of a guy that my dad worked worked with, which my dad, you know, he retired 27 years with the sheriff's office. And even he though he was, said after 25, I'm out the door. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he's like, well, maybe we'll think about this. But uh, he had a, one of his guys never wore his vest. I said, you know, you need to wear your vest. Why do you not wear it? Well, if I need it or no, he said, uh, if it's my time to go, it's just my time to go. He said, OK, well, that's fine. We'll leave your gun home next shift. Either that or just, I mean, why even wear the belt? Why even take a taser or anything else? If you really feel, hey, it's my time to go. It's my time to go. I'm not going to wear my vest. Why don't you just, just go in there and be that counselor and try to, as we're trying to promote right now, like we all have to have a ride-along counselor with us to go try to talk a subject down before I'm allowed to fire at him. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. go be the ride-along counselor. Just leave your vest at home and everything else. Go out there in plain clothes and you know, knock on doors. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
that's just the some people's train of thought just blows my mind. It's, it's insane, man. It's it really is insane, you know. And, and it affects, you know. And another thing too that is kind of like out of sight, out of mind to a lot of individuals as well is that you know, as individuals watch the news or even update it within our own districts or you know respective jurisdictions, you know, it's the you know following what's going on a lot of times puts us at hesitation factors and it changes a lot of the ways that, you know, we progress the duties, responsibilities that we perform and everything else as well too within law enforcement. So. Uh, and I've actually, uh, I had an incident. I haven't had to use a taser too many times, but I had an incident that that was the, the exact incident was actually brought up and used in the taser classes after that, that this is a, you know, almost this is a perfect example of, when and how to use a taser properly um the guy had i thought he threw a punch but it ended up he threw a rock a brick sized rock at my face i could have reached out and touched him it was so close and this dude should have been a major league pitcher because it was hard it was really hard but he threw some punches took off running and i tased him while he was running and this is something for people to think about uh when I tased him, it worked. He stopped. His feet went up over his head. And he went face first in the asphalt, which is kind of kind of a funny sight if you think about that happening. Remember, I remember you telling me about that because we we said about the the ridiculousness where somebody does that scorpion that you know as soon as you hit him, he went face first and back over and like legs straight in the air. And uh, but here's something uh, for people that's watching to think about. I ended up cracking the guy's eye socket. Well, I didn't. When he fell, the asphalt hit him, and it cracked his eye socket. So his eye swelled up. He was bleeding from his nose, his lip, you know, all over his face because his face hit the asphalt pretty hard, plus he was running, so that little skid. But because I used a taser on him and that happened, that was kind of looked at as okay, you know, and it, it was completely reasonable. But had I caught this guy and I started swinging on him, and I busted his nose, and that was it. That looks worse than the injuries that happened when this did occur. So that's another tricky thing that, that you've got to work with. You know, it looks more violent with less of an injury. And that's just the way people take it. Yeah, and it's like, hey, you're lucky to be alive, you know, I, especially when there's like somebody swinging a, a brick-sized rock at your face. You know, you're lucky I didn't put you down. Little, I, I keep using the word "put you down," but it's neutralized you. You know, rather than just slamming you on your face, so you kind of turned out in a better situation than you know what could have been. So, yeah, he got hurt worse um, than could have been with a more minor action. No, I mean, so, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe so, but he could have got hurt a lot worse by complying. <laughs> Yeah, and they—I've I've been told before, but that probably would have been an easily justifiable shooting had I, and he had—he had more rocks on him that he could have used. Um, Who walks around with bricks in their pocket? <laughs> that guy. Obviously. <clears throat> no, he was mental. He was very mental. You know, they actually shipped him off out of state to a, uh, you know, committed him. I think, you said he's, I, think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think you said it's been like five years or something like that, that that he's actually still in that mental, you know, hospital. So, obviously, I mean, you know, you did the community a justice by, you know, doing that, regardless of how you had to neutralize, you know, said subject and everything as well, too. So, I mean, yeah, I found out that he had actually assaulted people before. I just wasn't aware of it. So, he was really even more of a threat than than what I considered him at the time. I knew he had mental issues uh, and I really should have addressed that situation to start with differently, but you know, I didn't. And it's like you said, it's something that you use later on uh, your experiences and what you did and didn't do and how it turned out. Now you can use that on these new calls of how to handle situations or what to think, you know, before you react. And, and that's and that's and that's so vital as well too, you know, because because again, you know, playing in the mind of what is going to be the best case scenario to neutralize this in an effective way, timely way, and with less, you know, disaster, 
you know, happening and everything else as well. So, and I know, I know we're like getting close to the end right here. Is there anything else you want to cover real quick or? Um, I think, um, I'm not sure if I discussed, did I discuss, uh, the, um, uh, the gentleman I had to do CPR on that didn't make it with the, where he had been a prior police officer. No. Um, I know it came up when we were talking with uh, Kayla about CPR. I didn't, you know, it goes back to the memory thing, but um, I had uh, had to do CPR on a guy and that plays into what we talked about before. I discovered him at the same time the family did. He had called the family, said he needed an ambulance. So, you know, they get a hold of us. Well, the door was locked and they show up. So we're both discovering him at the same time. So their emotions instantly hit the roof. Um, and I had to do a CPR on the gentleman, which he didn't make it. Uh, but, you know, come to find out that he was prior law enforcement and one of his daughters actually came to the police department about a week later and presented me with one of his uh, police lapel pins. You know, and thanking me for for what I did, and you know, trying everything I could, and you know that that really that was almost a, a tough thing to kind of to get through emotion wise, but it it does really mean a lot that somebody does recognize you know how you've tried to to save somebody or how you've tried to handle a situation, even if it didn't turn out you know the way you wanted, they did appreciate what you did. And that's that's important as well, too, you know, what I mean, because, again, like the pressure of the family there, because it, that, that goes both ways. It's that you save somebody's life appreciations there. And if you're unable to, all of a sudden it's your fault. You know, and it's like I, I did the best that I could with what I had, you know, to save this individual's life. You know, I performed the CPR. I did everything else that was within my knowledge, my ability and things outside of I'm not just going to start. I'm not going to use them as a lab rat and start trying different shit to see if I can revive them. But, you know, and family does view it like that. It's like just the ones standing on even, you know, pedestrians just standing around watching that, you know, all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe he let him die. It's like, I think we had discussed uh, having to stop CPR in front of a family. Yeah. Then we had covered that and, you know, they're looking at, well, they stopped CPR, you know, they could have saved this guy. They kept on. The reality is he was already gone when we got there, but we tried everything we could when really there was nothing we could do, but we still tried. But once they, you know, say stop, you know, the doctors say stop, the family looks at, why are you stopping? But in reality, there's nothing else you could have done. Right. You know, I mean, it's just, again, going back to, same thing with, you know, being able to utilize everything that we have at our disposal to be able to react or, you know, neutralize or, you know, increase whatever the case was. So 100 percent. Well, it's are you going to have time here later on the day at anything or later this evening or something? I think that's probably about it, because uh I'm got my, my on the day, so you no know, making a five year old behave for any length of time is a uh, more more uh, issues than I have at work sometimes. Uh, it's and it does too. I mean, and like that, that's another one of those little hidden facts that you know humanizes everything as well too. That you know families also exist, you know, on that side of things. So. And, but, and uh, I this at the end because you know i, I kind of like to uh, end with a little more you know light-hearted but um uh, you know talking about kids and this comes down to how you act can make a huge difference you know i've had a kid run up to me before and and give me a hug and kiss me on the cheek and you know i'm nice about it you know hey you know thank you and just you know talk to them um i had another couple that they were young kids and they like police officers now if I go up there and I act like I don't care about them, I don't care what they think. I'm here to do this job and that's all I care about. Well, guess what? Now they don't like police officers. Now police officers are assholes. First impression, you know, for the rest of their life. But, you know, the fact that I did, you know, you know, hey, how are you doing? You know, you got this toy gun and, you know, hug them whenever I leave. 
that makes a huge impact. Just just that little thing, you know, can make an impact for their entire life. And the way that they view, you know, the departments in general, the rest of their lives as well, too, on what was done and how it was handled. You know, it could be that negative sense or that positive sense. Yeah. And even even the parents, uh, you know, by by being, you know, rude to their kids as they would view it is going to change their view of the officer and the police department. And on top of that, too, you know, it's one of the things that either drives individuals to join or deters them from even wanting to provide that service of something that, you know, ultimately they would have succeeded at. So I think that's uh, that's everything that I've got for right now. All right. And uh, I'll, I'll text you as soon as we're off here and everything else and try to get everything scheduled for the review of platforms. That way you can kind of start scheduling your own things as well too and uh go over all that and see if you want to get back on one here later tonight or you know later this week and things like that and you know as always i appreciate you joining and everything else and stay safe and stay blessed and all things brother thank you michael always